It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Dundalk. With over 150 new and used cars to choose from, along with the full Renault commercial van range and finance arranged within the hour, there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors in a relief road Dundalk. You're very welcome to Tuesday afternoon's late lunch on LMFM Radio. And I think I can say they're off. Yes, at Cheltenham, the first race, the half one has just gone to post, I'm sure. And my one is Vision Don Air. I have a little wager on that one in the first race and in the second. I'm back in Gordon Elliott all the way today. Local tip there. But we will have a tip, hopefully directly from the course for you, for the last race in Cheltenham today from the wonderful Marcella McCoy. My God, this woman can tip winners. That's coming up after three o'clock on the show today. Another question question for you folks the Ashling Ballroom did you ever go there did you dance there did you meet your partner there have you love stories from the Ashling? we're talking about it today because it's in ruins it's been demolished between yesterday and today it is no more but if you have Ashling memories get in touch with us 1850 715 958 by phone or whatsapp us 086 1800 658 and that's the text number as well now, you may or may not know, but we're in the second week of Fostering Fortnight. I love the name. And we have a special fostering story for you on late lunch today. Ten years ago, in 2008, Lorraine Brannock and her partner and wife, now Jean, uh, uh, became foster parents. Now, think about that. 2008, over ten years ago. And she's with me today to tell her story. And she's joined by Sandra Minnock. From Tusla. You're both welcome to the show. Thank you very much for joining me. If I could start with yourself, Lorraine, I'm just thinking here, (laughs) it was a different landscape in Ireland in 2008. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, it really was. But only when you say that kind of takes me all the way back to when we first started thinking about fostering and what a different dynamic it was in those days. And it was a conversation that wasn't, I suppose, you know, as open as it was, as it is now. Uh, But I came from a, a background where my family fostered, my sister fosters now, my mother was a foster parent for a long time and uh, I suppose it's maybe a little bit in my DNA. I was going to say that, <laughs> of course it is, when you, when you tell us that story yeah. as well. But listen, for two women to decide to go this road yeah. and do this, did you get many questions or looks or people saying, mm-mm? We did. We did. We got, look, we got loads of support from our media families, I suppose. But what we did get was a few questions from our friends going, what are you thinking? Why would you be, can you even do that? Are you guys allowed to do that? 
Um, and I suppose I did a, a, a fair bit of research to check that, that we could do that. And we got a, a very open reception from Tussler when we went to an information evening and the two of us went along and we were the only two women in it. But I suppose we didn't stick our hands up and say, hello, <laughs> <laughs> we're the lesbian couple. No, <laughs> we didn't do that. But uh, we kind of sat quietly in the background and absorbed what was being said. And uh Asked, I suppose, the question discreetly afterwards, you know, is it a problem if we were if we we wanted to do it together? We were told no. And and so the process kind of started from then. Uh, and I remember the very first visit to a social worker for a social worker to come to our house. And of course, the house was spotless. You know, we had it all cleaned <laughs> and floors done, hoovered. The windows were spotless. You know, we were all lovely makeup on us. We were all beautiful. And uh, the social worker came in for about a half hour and said, <laughs> you know, like this is the this is the forms we need you to do. And this is kind of what we will be looking at. Um, and so that's we started our journey then. Um, and it, it does take some time to go to the assessments. They're quite robust, as you would imagine they would be and should be. And uh, we found that uh, somewhat challenging because uh, some of the <laughs> some of the questions are, um, I suppose, slightly uncomfortable. Yes. Uh, but we were thinking of the end goal that we mm. had, you know, and the ultimate, I suppose, for us was that we had space, we had time and we had love to give. And they were the three things that we kept in the forefronts of our mind uh, as we went through that process. So that's where it kind of started. You know? Isn't that just marvellous? Because those three words sum up what every yeah. child needs. Yeah. And you had it, both of you, in spades full. Yeah. 2008, you began the process. Did it yeah. take long for you to get your first child? When did you... <clears throat> well, it took it took happen? about nine months to go through the assessment piece mm. to be... You know, you go through all these robust pieces of work um, and I suppose there's loads of Garda checks and all kinds of things happen in the background and, you know, your finances and all the rest of that. Everything is kind of checked out. Uh, and then you go to a committee who makes the decision. And I remember Jean and I were sitting in a, a Costa coffee shop in Navan waiting on the call to see <laughs> were they going to say yay or nay. And we got a yay. Uh, so we had some cake with our coffee and that's how we celebrated that. And we told our family who were all really supportive for us and uh, we were delighted, you know. And First child. Come on. We have to hear about that. Well, Boy or girl? Well, um, <clears throat> at the time, let's just say it was a little tiny, tiny person. OK. And uh, I suppose Jean, I would say, in our relationship is the natural mum. Mm. Uh, it took me some time to because I didn't have any natural children Jean has as a natural girl Zoe who who we love and adore very much and you know at the time I suppose it took a lot of learning for me I wasn't overly familiar with nappies and bottles and <laughs> all of these kind of things and Jean was was brought me through it uh, and we, we figured actually we can do this <laughs> so yeah. she had some experience oh she did she did, yeah, she did. and you were a newbie to this I was a total newbie I was a total newbie. I was a total newbie. I was even nervous of holding, you know, children for the first time, you know, especially when they were really tiny. And uh, But Jean was just like, oh, give them over here. And she was, you know, able to do it. And I became a little bit more confident as time went on. And uh, I suppose for me, being a, a, a gay woman, I realised that I had that in me. I had that instinct, that mothering instinct in me. Mm. Uh, and uh, I think it's never gone back ever since that time. So have you had a number of children to foster since that time yet? Yeah, we, we've had 10. I think we were counting up last night. Uh, we've had 10, some some for longer periods of time, some for very short periods of time. Uh, but each and every one of them have been welcomed and loved and but here's the thing, when you have to give them oh, back, Jerry. is that just <laughs> heartbreaking every time, even though there's been 10 of them? 
I think each time has its own set of, um, you know, set of scenarios around why they're with you. And sometimes you're very happy to see them go back. And other times you're, uh, you know, you're sad and you're upset and you're going to miss them and you deal with them uh, as an adult. But of course, you 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 try and encourage the child that this is, you know, isn't this fantastic and how lucky you are and all of this is going to be very lucky for you. And we've had some really amazing stories that have changed our lives completely forever. Um, and and I think every child that's come into our house has changed us for the better, really for the better. So challenging and fulfilling at the same time. You yeah, say. absolutely. And the, the fulfilling ends of it always outweigh the challenges, you know, so that's. If it didn't, you'd probably be going, oh, wow, but it doesn't, you know. And I do want to say hello to Jean. She was to be with us today, but she's a little under the weather. And if she's listening, or she may hear this at a later date. Uh, we're delighted to be talking about both of you and <laughs> your fostering here on Late Lunch this yeah, afternoon, thanks, Jean. We wish you well. Um, you have a little person I know with you at the moment now for over three years. Now, this is quite a long stint yeah. with this child. Yeah, yeah, Do yeah. Do you know how long this... Uh, I suppose with each with each child that comes to you, you kind of don't really know what the initial outset was going to happen. Um, and I suppose we were approved for short term foster uh, fostering. So, um, but then sometimes that doesn't pan out and it goes into something else. And we just kind of go along with that. We go along with whatever the child needs. And uh, yeah, look, we it more than likely will be, but you just don't know. Uh, um, and we're not here to, and never do actually judge birth families at all because. There before the grace of God goes anybody in a situation and we're not there to judge to judge them and we're just there to support their child and, you know, bring them into our family and love them and care for them and that's really what we do, you know. And boy, have you done it over the last 10 years or so. Yeah. It's a great, great story to highlight fostering in this fortnight. Let me bring Sandra Minnock from Tusla into the conversation. You're very welcome to the show, Sandra. Thank First you. question on my mind is this. OK, you've heterosexual couples, you've same-sex couples. What about a single parent? Is a single parent eligible to foster? Yes, absolutely, Jerry. Yeah, we're, we're more than welcome single um, carers. We have a number of, number of single carers um, in Loudmead at the moment, fostering, doing an excellent job. Yeah, so we're absolutely open to taking applications and inquiry calls from same-sex couples, couples and absolutely single people. Yeah, absolutely. It's important to get that message out there. Now, in terms of children requiring fostering mm-hmm. and the availability of wonderful foster parents yes. uh, like L- Lorraine here today and Jean, how does that work? Are you always looking for fosterers? Yes, we are. Um, I guess across Loudmead, probably nationally, we have a shortage of foster carers at the moment. Um, my remit is um, recruiting foster carers across Louth and Meath at the moment. That's specifically my role at the moment. We do have a shortage in Louth and Meath. Um, and so we are doing a, a big campaign across both counties at the moment, trying to get the message out there that we are actively recruiting in both counties for local children. In Louth, we're recruiting for Louth children and in Meath, we're recruiting for Meath children and the aim of that localised campaign is to try and keep when when children in Louth come into care we try very much to keep them in their area so that when you know if they come into care we'll say in the Dundalk area we try to place them relatively in that area so that they can maintain their school placements they can keep in contact with their families their friends their 
GEA club, whatever it may be, um, because we absolutely recognise that that reduces the trauma for a child coming into care if if everything else can stay consistent, if we can maintain everything else. For them. I have another question. Fostering, we talk about getting a newborn potentially, which mm-hmm. you do to yep. foster parents. Up to what age? Up to 18. So we have statutory okay. responsibility from 0 to 18. And if I'm a fosterer and I'm approved, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, go through that whole process, can I have a say in what age a child comes to me as a foster child? Absolutely. So as part of the inquiry call that you would make to Tusla, you would have an initial conversation about that. And if you proceed to the assessment stage at each stage during that assessment, you would discuss that with your assessing social worker and you would talk about what the what the right fit would be for your family. So for for people that come forward that have children of their own, you would look at the ages and stages of those children and what would work maybe in that family. For ch- for couples where both couples are working, you'd have to look at how that would how that would work, how they would manage the child and how they would meet all of their needs while maintaining employment. Um, but yeah, absolutely, it's discussed and it's very much led by by the, the people that are coming forward to do the assessment, what it is that they would, you know, some people feel their skills are with teenagers. Some people, you know, enjoy the toddler stage. Some people enjoy the newborn stage. And we're very, very open. We have a need across both counties for all age categories. And we're very open to hearing from people across all of those ages. That's great clarification. And it's as clear as day now when you, when you outline it like that. When you look at Lorraine and Jean, and we've heard their story there, and you look at uh, Lorraine with the DNA of fostering, and you have Jean who has that mothering aspect, as, as Lorraine said to us there, do you need certain qualities or traits to be a foster parent? Um, so we always say that foster parents are, I guess, ordinary people that do a very extraordinary job. They're like our foster carers are incredible people that open their homes and their hearts to somebody else's child and that are willing to go that extra mile to give that extra love and that care and that special attention and patience and whatever that child needs for the length of time that that child needs to be with them. So. You need love, as as Lorraine said, you need the capacity to love another child. You certainly need patience. You need a sense of humour. You need to, I guess, be able to work with the agency, be able to work with birth families, be open minded, um, have, have, I guess, some space in your house and availability in your daily schedule <laughs> to be able to care for a child, as, as Lorraine and said. And understand that there is a letting go element to this as well. Yeah, there can. Yeah, you there know, can some, some of our children um, do stay in care long term. Mm. But I guess, Jerry, at the point of a child coming into care, we, we don't know. We can never predict because you can't predict what, you know, what will be the motivation or what will happen for a birth parent. And Tusla are very much about working with birth families and trying to look at reunification. And for some of our children, that works and it works really, really well. And I think, you know, our foster parents would say, our experienced foster parents would certainly say that for the most part, even though there's a sadness and they will miss the child, that it's there's a huge sense of achievement because there's a sense that for the length of time the child needed care, they have done an excellent job as foster parents. Tusla have done their job right, but ultimately the parents will have done their their part by yes. correcting, you know, whatever needed to be. Yes, I see what you're saying. And you're making a difference long term in a child's life. You leave that imprint there for the Absolutely. time that that baby or toddler or young person, teenager is with you. Fostering. It is fostering fortnight. We're talking about it on late lunch today. If you have a question, get them to us quickly. 086 1800 658 by WhatsApp or text.
text. You can call in at 185715958. More from Lorraine and Sandra after this short break. Lorraine Lee Brannock is with me on late lunch this afternoon. She is one half of a fostering duo. I'll say hello to Jean again this afternoon, who's a little bit under the weather and not with us. And Sandra Minnick is here from Tusla as well. Lorraine, just come back in. You've been listening to Sandra there for a few moments talking about, and I was asking her about, is there an atypical fostering parent? What do you need to be a fosterer? You've heard what she had to say. What do you want to say about that? I think over the, over the, the 10 or so years that we've been fostering, we've kind of learned to, I suppose, trust so we have to have an element of trust with Tusla and trust that the social workers are doing their piece. I suppose when you first start, you're very gung-ho, you're checking everything out, you're making sure, you know, then you have to trust yourself as well that what you're doing is the right thing um, and that, you know, your main priority as the foster parent is to parent and care for that child. And to some level, you have to remove yourself from what's going on outside of that to let the the social work social workers do their job, but it is everybody's on the one you know the kind of one circle. We're all on the one wheel. We're all doing the one thing mm. for the and the child is always in the middle of that. And the other thing to say is you're not just cast adrift and no. left to your own devices. There will be interventions and contacts ongoing. You, you must be realise this. Yes, you you you're you're uh, provided with a link social worker. So that's your own fostering social worker, and you can go to them at any time or pick up the phone or ask to meet them in relation to anything that you have, any questions that you have in relation to fostering or, you know, a situation might arise that you might need some support on or anything at all. And that's that's for you. The the children have their own social workers. That's a different element, but you do have a support in that. And we were very lucky, actually, because we, as I said to you, because we come from a, a fostering, fa- you know, all of our family were very supportive. My sister fosters in Kildare, you know, like, so we're, yeah. we're very lucky like you that. You had a good step up the we ladder did. before you yeah, even began, did. it has yeah. to be said. Uh, well, there's somebody preempting my next question. It says, Jerry, I take it a foster or foster parents won't be out of pocket. No, so there's a fostering allowance paid directly to um, to foster carers, Jerry, and it's a, it's a tax-free allowance and it certainly seemed generous enough that it covers everything that the child needs. It covers schooling, day-to-day living, um, you know, if they're going on holidays in the summer, uh, school books, whatever it is. So the fostering allowance is paid directly to the foster parents to spend on on the child. And, and children in care will also have um, a medical card as well. Which okay, this is not... A simple process of just filling in a few forms and having a meeting or two. We have to say it is a rigorous process, as it must be. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's an assessment that we have um, a time frame of 16 weeks for completing our assessments. Sometimes the assessments take a little bit longer than that, um, depending on what issues come up during the assessment or if there's com- some complicating factors. But our general time frame is 16 weeks. So the assessment is, you know, we, we obviously need to get to know the carers really well and we need to prepare them for fostering. We need to prepare them for what's going to come in their door. So it's, it's a bit of an educative process as well for people that are applying to foster. Um, so we look at we look at things, we look at your, your background, your childhood, your own experience of being parented, because, you know, we often say, God, I just sounded like my mother the way I said that. So, you know, we often bring our own experiences of being parented into our own parenting experience. Um, so you look at that, you look at if it's a couple, you look at their relationship and their dynamics and how they function. Um, if it's um, a couple or a single person that has children, how, how they parent. And you you also talk to the, the children of the family to make sure that they're on board with it because they're a big, huge factor. Sure the birth thing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Can you have one more than one child with you as a foster child at any one time? And is there a maximum on that? 
Yeah, so we, you'd look at what your availability and your capacity would be throughout the assessment. But certainly we have, um, we, we would regularly have sibling groups that come, come into air care. And for sure, it's ideal for us. It's the golden ticket if we can place them together because it obviously reduces the trauma for them if we can keep them together. Um, so for sure, if, if there's a space and the availability for the carers and we can place a sibling group together with a family, I mean, that's amazing. That's, that's, that's definitely where we want to go. You've said to me you're looking in loud. I mean, you are talking to your audience here this afternoon. Here is your opportunity to sell this even more. You have a couple of events coming up, yes? Yes, yeah, so we've got two information nights coming up. Um, we've got one on the 4th of April at 7pm in Dundalk. It's going to be in the Mohevnamore Community Centre. And then we've got another one on the 10th of April and that's going to be in the Enterprise Centre in Navan. Um, so they're both going to be at seven o'clock in the evening um, and everybody is welcome to come. Anybody is welcome to come. I am taking all of the inquiry calls for County Louth and I would welcome to hear from anybody at all. I can leave my number at the desk here. Please um, do. If, if anybody wants to ring up and get that. And I've got a colleague, Kay Jackson in Meath, who's taking all the Meath inquiry okay. calls at the moment. So it'll be Kay or Sandra. Kay for Meath, Sandra for Louth. If you're interested, if anything, you know, we've talked about today you know just uh, prompt something within you to say look this may be for me it's something I'm interested in even if you have half an interest they want to hear from you Absolutely we're more than interested in talking to people if they've got some queries questions there's no such thing as a silly question we're more than happy to to speak to you go through your own scenario with you and and offer you any information answer any questions that you have in relation to fostering So the number you need is 1857 the LMFM main number you've got to ring that number in a few moments because I can't let them out of here for another couple of minutes. But the numbers will be out there in a few moments if you're interested. Call in during the afternoon, tomorrow, whatever, and the contact numbers will be there. I'll start. I'll finish where I began, back with Lorraine Lee Brannock again. Look, when you think about this journey from 2008 and all you've experienced, come on, today, final word to you. Why would I become a foster parent? Why? Because it's a privilege. It's a privilege, Jerry. It's a privilege to be able to care for some of the most vulnerable children in our country and to have the privilege of doing that is very special and I can't express that enough or I can't underestimate how good it makes you feel. Mm. So really, if you have time and you have space and you have love, that's all you need. That's so positive and so loving and it really does sum it up in a nutshell as well. I suppose like any family, like you go through your family moments and that. It's not, I don't want to paint the the most, when they got the house, I'm just thinking about that, when they had the first call and the house was immaculate. (laughs) It's not always like that, Jerry. let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to come back to that. I'm sure sure the social worker said, all right, girls, hold on a minute here. We know what the reality is. But look, we, we are saying, of course, it's like, it's life. It's family it life. life. You have yeah. all that goes with that as well. And that is part and parcel of yeah. it. But on the whole, yes, 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 from Lorraine and Jean's point of view. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Absolutely. 100%. Sandra, that's lovely words from... Yeah, they're wonderful. Aren't I mean, they, Lorraine yeah. and Jean are, are wonderful carers. We're very, very lucky to have them. Mm. We're very lucky. We've got um, we've got over 200 uh, families across Louth and Meath. And we've got, like, they're, they're great people doing yes. great work. Well, we want more. That's the message today. Yes. Numbers again off 1857 But for the moment, Lorraine Lee Brannock and Sandra Minnock from Tusla, thank you both for joining me on the show. And I think this song is appropriate for yourselves. We'll dedicate it to Lorraine 
and Jean and all the children as well. It's a great one. It's a classic. Yes, it's Baby Love. back to our discussion on fostering a moment ago there. Ella's been on to say it's a super idea, Jerry. Not everyone is blessed with children of their own and they can give love to those who need it most. Somebody else, it's Esther actually in our family, say Lorraine and Jean sound very inspirational. The children who went into their care are very lucky to have parents like these and I wish them both continued success. And we have many other comments about the fostering as well. Thank you indeed for those. Now it was built in 1970, officially opened in 1971 played host to the great of the show band here and more besides until its demise as a venue for music and dancing in 1994 when Brendan Boyer played the last gig there where am I talking about it's the Ashling Ballroom in Clotterhead and today it lies in ruins on the ground it's been demolished and there are many people crying when they heard the news and we have lots of comment in about it already so if you danced in the Ashling, if you met someone in the Ashling, if you have memories come on let's hear from you oh 868-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. You can call in on 1850-715-958. First off, in studio with me this afternoon is the man who spun the discs there for many years, our very own Eddie Caffrey's with me, and Red Hurley is on the line. We're going to be talking to Red in a moment, and I believe Linda Martin will be joining us as well. Eddie, first to yourself, <laughs> yeah. memories this afternoon of the Ashling. It was some place. Millions of them, millions of them. Well, I owe a lot of my career to the Ashling. It was my local hall. It was only about five miles from here lived anyway and uh, as you said uh, actually there was a smaller version of it in 1969 opened in what was later the restaurant and then they had 21st birthday parties in it and that was while the big ballroom was being built of course and uh, a lot of people will probably remember the great dance floor it was from the Abbey Ballroom in Drogheda and I don't know how they actually ever got it from the Abbey and uh, actually the Abbey 50th anniversary around this time I don't know how they ever got it intact it wasn't destroyed by the fire and if you see all the old pictures of the Abbey with the, the railings on the stage it's the very same railing as well on the stage for the Ashling uh, but uh, we're talking about the Ashling today my, my goodness what a, what a venue it was How many know. nights a week Eddie did it play? Yeah. Well Saturday night was the big night that was uh, just you know uh, uh, during the year but in the summer with uh, all the tourists and the kids and everything around uh, it was open there was a few nights in it there was kids hops in it I yeah. played a lot of the kids hops in it for, I was there from 74 to about 1980 uh, Franklin D was about two years before that and before that, they had relief bands who would you know, play between 10 and 12, warm up the night. Uh, you know, one of them was one that Noel actually formed himself, Noel McAvoy. It, we, we, he can't be with us today, unfortunately. Oh, we wish him well. Yeah, yeah. I know but, he has a hospital appointment today, Noel. And Noel and Michael Carroll were the originals. Yes, yeah. Said, few, I think there was a few few yeah. boys in at, at the very start. But Noel, Noel was the man who, who looked after all the bookings and all that. And I think Louis Walsh, I think, was had, had bands in it. Maybe Linda. Not, he could have managed Linda 
and, and chips and all that yeah, when we'll she comes find on out with down us. A minute, yeah. But anyhow, uh, uh, the first relief band was called the Seasiders, and uh, they were quite good. They were young, they were very young, only 16, 17, and uh, the lead vocalist, uh, Gobby Guthrie, Bernadette Kerwin, she passed away recently. She was a vocalist, very, very good, and I'll say hello to a uh, mum and dad, John and Teresa, listening in on Sun Hill. Uh, and then uh, um, after that, uh, about two years later, another band from Drogheda arrived, and there was a chap called Kevin Walsh in this band. I think some of the Mahars was with him. And I think Joe O'Neill, uh, uh, who was the promoter in Glen and Maddie, took them over and he became Magic and the Swallows and then Magic and the Magic Band. He had this suit that would light up. You know, I, I don't know how he never went on fire, was electrocuted, but there was millions of bulbs on it anyway. But uh, they were the relief band who mm. would play. And then uh, Frank Godfrey was DJ and I became DJ after that. But the big bands of the time, uh, Tony Kenny and the Sands, Dickie, of course, Joe Dolan, Fresh Men, the Memories. It was a pop venue, more more so. It was a, a pop music venue. But Big Tom played in it in, in the summer of 1970. And I remember you couldn't move in it. You know, you couldn't barely breathe in it because smoking was allowed for, for a start. And it was a blazing hot summer night. And, you know, to get to the toilet alone was quite a struggle. Just, just to beat your way through the crowd. Uh, uh, Thin Lizzy played it, actually. Just before, they? Yeah, really? before they were famous. Just yes. before they were famous. And someone said, said there was about maybe 200 in or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> a couple of weeks later, they would have packed International it. stars. Yeah. But Eddie, this, uh, you talk about uh, health and safety rules today, number restrictions. It was just... No. Just everybody. Yeah, it was just jammers. And it was it was open. There was no the only thing was as you came in the door, there was a mineral bar to your right and toilets um, each each side of that and nothing else. There was a band room and a cloakroom and uh, each side of the stage. And mm. that was it. It was side doors where if anyone got unruly, they were just thrown out <laughs> the door. <laughs> yeah. No messing. Yeah. Let's bring uh, some of our guests who are joining us uh, by phone this afternoon. Two of the greats of any era with us. Red Hurley's on the line and Linda Martin and it's great to have them with us. Linda, just to yourself first for a moment, Eddie mentioned there Louis Walsh. Was Louis involved with you or others who played there? Well, waiting to tell you, and good afternoon, everybody. I hope you're all well. Um, I was in Belfast, and I just started singing with a band called Chips. And we were told that you had to be in Dublin. It was a great metropolis. You had to be there if you were going to succeed in any way. And then we were told that there was a young fella from uh, Kilshima, who was in Dublin and was looking to manage a band, and we'd we be interested in meeting up with him. And where did we meet him? In the in Ashland. Black Rock. No. Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. And, and I vividly remember that night. I remember him coming in, and he stood at the side of the ballroom with difficulty because I heard somebody mentioning the crowds in those days, which were unbelievable. And I remember Louis standing there, he watched the band, and then we moved off to the Ashling Hotel in the centre of Dublin, down near Houston Street, you know, uh, the station, down Houston Station? Yes. And that's where most of the bands stayed in those days, if, if you were sort of staying overnight in Dublin. And I remember sitting in, in the reception area with him, and we struck up a deal, and that was the start of the Louis Walsh involvement with me. But I also remember Noel McAvoy, I loved him. You see, Noel was into the horses. Yep. And you know me with the animals. Yes. And talking to him about horses was just... I was in heaven. Never mind the fact the gig was absolutely brilliant. The fact that I was able to talk to somebody about horses and a real friendly guy he was, lovely guy. I have great memories of him. Yeah, and great memories, Linda, of playing there. And what Eddie was saying a moment ago, the heaving crowds, packed. Unbelievable crowds. And Frank Godfrey was the DJ then in those days. That's my memory of who was there. 
And he was a great character altogether. I mean, for anybody who knows him, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But the crowd loved him, and they loved his top hat, which he used to wear on stage. And the crowd, you, you had no way of pushing your way through. It was a very slow process to get from the stage to the front door or across. Somebody said about the ladies' toilet. And the same process, it was almost impossible. But no crowd control or anything like that. The fire officer wasn't in, and we just get on with it. And happy days great atmosphere in the place and I, I truly loved it really loved it and I'm, I'm sorry to hear it's being pulled down at the moment mm. yeah it's gone and but, demolished as we speak uh, today Linda let's bring Red Hurley your good friend into the conversation Red afternoon hiya how's everybody oh Hi, great well your memories of the of the Ashling Red well first of all I, I hear you talking about the floor in the Ashling ballroom and I had no idea in all the years that I played in it I had no idea that the floor was actually taken from the Abbey Ballroom. Mm. Uh, which Now, I had never sang in the Abbey Ballroom. I think it was just ever so slightly before my time. But I'm told that reliably that it was one of the best ballrooms in Ireland. And for them to, to go to the trouble of taking the floor up and putting it into the to the uh, Ashling w- w- must have been a huge undertaking. And I'm very, very sad to hear that it's uh, been pulled down. And, and what, what are they going to do with it? Uh, actually, it's part of a of a caravan park there, and I think okay. it's just going to create more space for oh, people yeah, visiting yeah. Clarehead yeah. Red. But look, at it's been sitting there for quite a long time, out of use. 1994 was the last gig. Brendan Boyer, did you play it more than once, Red? Well, the, oh, I did, of course. The first time I played it was in or around 1974, 1975 maybe. And uh, I remember it was a real pop venue. As you said earlier on there, uh, somebody said earlier on, it's, uh, it was one of those venues. It wasn't the typical country hall in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it had a great, they, the draw of the people were always very, you know, into their pop music and they loved the likes of Chips and, mm. and uh, Linda's band. And, and uh, as you say, some of the, the great uh, rock bands of the 70s played in it as well. But uh, we, yeah, we, we played in it with Red Hurley and his band or whatever it was called at the time. 1975, and I always remember it had a great atmosphere. It was in the in a real summary kind of a gig to do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I remember actually, um, uh, Red, I was DJing, yeah. Uh, yeah. and you were just back from the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, you came 10th. It was just a week or two after. Uh, and yeah, it, was that great. Was, it was great. I was great. We're all starstruck. Yes, Red Hurley is out of representing <laughs> And it's back when we had good songs in the Eurovision. Yes. <laughs> uh, they were great days. You know, it's sad to see the, the, the ballroom pulled down, you know, but... Uh, I enjoyed every second of it. I know Linda had a great uh, relationship with the Mars. And by the way, is the orchestra still alive in in Draw? That they had a a band like a fifteen piece band, you know, saxophone. Uh, it was Louis Louis Smith. No, you're thinking of no. Yes, that's it. Yeah, that's Louis. It. Yeah, yeah, Louis. I, I don't think it's going anymore. They a lot of yeah. them have passed on red at this stage. You know. I know. Yeah. 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 yeah, they were terrific, so they were. But great yeah. memories of it, and, and it was part of the circuit in Ireland, but one of the go-to places at, at that time, yes. There'd be buses coming, you know, buses coming from Drogheda, I think two or three buses, perhaps, from Drogheda, one yeah, from around the RD area and everything. And, you know, uh, I, I would be just starting to, uh, to play the records at 10. First bus would yeah. come, second bus would come, you know, and by, well, by it, half it, 11, it, when the pubs were closed, by golly, it would be packed. Full. Yeah, but people thought nothing in those days of, of getting, you know, a lift or, or hitching a ride. Or whatever, yeah, you know, yeah. To, to venues like that. And it was, Walk it was to it, yeah. terrific. Because yeah. you're not too far from Clower Head there. Exactly, exactly. Linda, back to you and Chips and uh, those yeah, great yeah. days. 
back back to those great days is right because by God we didn't appreciate them when we had them. But you know something? I've just had another memory from from Noel's venue. You got fed in it, Red. That's do you right. remember that? You remember going oh, to the cafe next? No, I, I, I was never fed in it. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember big sandwiches, trays of sandwiches coming over from the house into the band room. Yeah. In next door for the cup of tea and the food and everything, and of course we all appreciated that so much because there were very few venues actually fed you. So that was that was glorious. Linda, the, Linda, they were only taking care of you because special. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, that ginger red hair, the leather gear, the long legs, oh, the, the gear, looks. Yeah. Oh, my God. Stop. Would you stop? <laughs> that red hurly fella, I'm wise to him now. Really yeah. But I have to say, he's my most favourite singer in the whole world. Wow. You're a darling. Thank but you. I love Thank him. You. I love him. And you know what? Know. Um, when you talk about it, you see, Linda, Red was always minding the figure. That's why. Don't mind him. He didn't take the sandwiches or anything. He was always taking care of himself. <laughs> That's the way it was. It was for sure. Listen, I want to take a short break. Will you just stay with us on the line, the Perry, for a moment there? Yeah. Short break. Uh, okay. Eddie Caffrey staying with us as well. Memories of the Ashling. Keep them coming to us. Eddie Caffrey, Linda Martin and Red Hurley are with us this afternoon on Late Lunch. Remembering the Ashling Ballroom. It's been demolished and it's almost all gone as we speak at this stage. Uh, lots of comment coming. Let me read uh, one or two of them. Myself and my friends lived for Saturday night in the Ashling. I can still feel the sway of the packed dance floor from the Abbey Ballroom, I think. And yes, that has been confirmed a few moments ago by Eddie. I can see the men on the steps and us girls sitting on the long seat to the left. The coat room to the side of the stage. The mineral bar. Franklin D. Eddie Caffrey warming up the crowds before the big band coming on at 12 midnight. The Indians. Brendan Boyer. Red Hurley. Linda Martin. Etc. Etc. First loves. First heartbreaks. Innocent times. Wonderful memories. Never to be forgotten from Mary and friends. Oh my God. And those lovely words, Red Hurley. Well, you think about it, you know, isn't it wonderful to hear all those lovely memories coming back? You know, the, mm. that person, whoever it was there, just kind of encapsulated the way I'm sure myself and Linda and Eddie feel about the whole situation there. Because, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are now. I mean, I'm I'm nearly in my 50s now, but <laughs> <laughs> I knew I'd get you there. <laughs> but but uh, it doesn't matter what age you are, you know, you, you, you can remember the wonderful times. And there were, uh, it's just my imagination or were they a lot more innocent? Yeah, I think they were, Eddie, yeah, yes. I think so, yeah. yeah, yeah. Innocent was, times. Yeah. Hey, Linda, you thought I was joking about him looking after his figure. Do you hear him about the birds out now? Will you go away out of that? <laughs> <laughs> he, he looks about 20. Uh, <laughs> There's no mirrors in these people's uh, lives anymore, and uh, I agree uh, with that. I agree oh, with he's it. Always, he's always watching his figure, don't mind. <laughs> Linda, but like, at that, that time, innocence, what what do you say about that? It was, there, there was we, we had less, but people were happier. Weren't they happier? Yeah, they were. I think they were. Yeah. Well, we we nothing to compare anything else with. Isn't that true? Yeah. That, yeah that, that's I, true. Yeah. So many people. We've we've just finished our. We're running to the end of the show band show. Myself and Red are involved in that, and we meet people of a certain age, and each person says, "I remember you from a particular ballroom." And wasn't it wonderful because you, and nobody mentioned the fact that there was no drink in the ballrooms. They just said, wasn't it wonderful, the atmosphere and the mineral and the cup of tea and everything. And you know what was important? The club biscuits. Do you remember that? (laughs) (laughs) You could have a hang sandwich, as they always said, a hang sandwich, a cup of tea and a club biscuit or a mineral. But honest to God, the innocence was incredible. And I used to see it, especially when we were leaving the gig at night. And the crowds were very slow to filter out no matter where you were. And there might have been a tractor outside. 
or an old, an old trailer. And there'd be people bunged on top of them just to get the few miles up the road and get home after the dance. Such innocence, because you know now, of course, there'd be crowd control, there'd be people complaining, there'd be insurance claims going mm. in for some reason. You, you know, it, it was a very, very innocent time, and I'm glad I actually went through it. Do you feel like that, Red? I do indeed. I, can I just mention, Linda, to everybody, that uh, we've just finished a 30-day tour of reeling in the show band years with Ronan Collins and the Swarbricks and, and Keith and Lorraine and Dave Lawler. And myself and Linda have been very much involved in it. And Linda has been just incredible. Just wonderful, wonderful entertainer. I can't say her <laughs> phrases enough. No, 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 I'm serious. Ah, we people, know. We no, do the know. people have just become a, a real, real star over the years. Wonderful, wonderful entertainer. And, Ro- and Red, I know we're slagging you, but I never heard a woman to talk so much about food and biscuits and chocolate <laughs> and to have a figure like hers all I know, through this year. How I does know. she do it, Red? Come on, we're I waiting know, for the book, I, I Linda. Know, I know, I know. And she's nearly 50 as well. You yes! Know. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie, you wanted to mention the Miami. The Miami showband, yeah, uh, yeah. The late Fran O'Toole and all that. Uh, they were regulars and they were due to play the week after uh, of course the, the massacre early August 1975 and we all know what happened it was, it was really really a sad I remember we did a memorial disco because we had no band the following week the Miami was in and I was uh, the DJ I carried the whole night we did a, a Miami memorial uh, disco to them and girls crying and everything but uh, they, oh, they, they reformed they reformed um, Desley and Stephen uh, reformed the band the following Easter I think and the Ashling was not the first but one of the first mm. they played and I remember they were very nervous going on stage because it was very you know the place was packed of course yeah. Miami show band yeah. are back and the boys are in the band Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. 
you're both around with the band room, which is one side, and yeah. I was I remember that look out, and they were very, very nervous because who knows what was going yeah, to happen. Absolutely, you know? yeah, yeah. but my God, they got such a welcome. Do you know something? It's just great talking to all of you today and reminiscing about it. And look, the the show band tour has been an unbelievable success, and it does show you, Linda and Red, the appeal it still has and what people still want as well, and they want to bring back those memories time and time again. But we say today, the Ashling is gone and gone forever, but the memories will always live on. Now, we're going to play out with you, Red, but Linda, I'm not leaving you out because right. we have you in the next half hour, one of your big hits as well. <laughs> but I'm playing this one today for an awful lot of people who love it. And it was my late mother's favourite song. It's Love Is All from Red Harley. And there's been great love in this studio today. Eddie Caffey, Linda Martin and Red Harley. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks, Thanks. a million. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Yesterday I knew the games to play I thought I knew the way Life was meant to be But now there's you My foolish games are through Now at last I have found Just what makes this whole world Turn around Love is all I have to give Love is all As long as I shall
My oh my, what a song, the great Red Harley. 50 years of age, can you believe it? Yes, <laughs> the Mad Red and Love Is All, one of the great love ballads of all time. And we will have Miss Linda Martin uh, for your pleasure. Yes, on late lunch, she'll be singing for us a little bit later on in the show. We can't leave the great Linda out either. What wonderful, wonderful memories and all the comments coming to us left, right and centre. Hi, Jerry, I have such happy memories of the Ashling and Noel McAvoy and Michael. We love Clotterhead, love Michael and Noel. That comes in from Pauline Christie and Rat Malloyne today. What about Joe Dolan? He started there. We were all in love with him, says another listener. Yeah, the great Joe as well. We could name them all, name drop for half an hour here on the show about the people who played the Ashling Ballroom. But it is today, no more. It's been demolished. Up next on Late Lunch, it's Tony Conlon and his regular motoring feature. And today, we're talking Toyota. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Dundalk. Test drive the all-new fully electric Renault Zoe and the all-new Renault 1.3 Petrol Cajar today. With finance arranged within the hour, there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors in a relief road Dundalk. We're motoring for the next while on Late Lunch. Well, we motor every day, but really motoring for the next while because our man is back. Tony Conlon is with us for his uh, regular contribution to the show and he's joined today by John Malone from Toyota. You're both very welcome to the show. Good to see you, gentlemen. Thanks for joining me. Tony, can I start with uh, Geneva and the big motor show? And regard is one of the biggest shows in the world, as you know. And, Tony, this year, I just read a little line for you. Every car makers seem to have a vehicle with an electric plug. Is this the moment? It is the moment. Absolutely it is the moment. But it, it Geneva is a little bit old news, old hat and ways, because two years ago I told you we were in Paris and every manufacturer then, remember I said about Hyundai had three various types of electric vehicles, mm. hybrids and everything else. So it's it's not it, they're all on the bandwagon Let's, there's no doubt at all about that because they want to be seen to be able to produce an electric vehicle and Europe is turning and diesel sales are falling and petrol sales have increased in some ways and gone down another piece, hybrid sales have certainly increased and people are looking at the whole issue but uh, it's a big long discussion still Jerry. you know mm. So there's still a long way to go you're saying the other thing is I looked at the sales figures for Ireland in the first two months of the year and more electric cars sold in the first two months of 2019 than all of 2018. Absolutely, yeah. There's only like about 10 or something, 15 or 20 in the difference of the whole of sales last year. Of course, the fact of the matter is there, when you when you have an increase like that, has to do with competition. You have more electric cars. Still not enough, but you have the likes of the Hyundai Kona there coming on with a range, something like the Telsa or the Jaguar, which is self-explanatory. Like, and, but the thing factor is, you're penalised because there's a big price then there's a matter of benefit and kind that you're allowed on it so there's, mm. there's plus and minuses but before we just go on the whole electric thing we can sit here till tomorrow talking electric cars but we, if the Ireland don't sit down our politicians sit down and speak about the infrastructures in our towns and our cities but then we're going nowhere. OK, so that's a good point because I have it here uh, in another piece I was looking at as well. Infrastructure is still the challenge, as you say, in yeah, Ireland today, yeah. Tony. Uh, the companies are, and the developmental people, the scientists, the batteries are getting a much longer range. And the other thing you touched on there, there must be an incentive. I'll bring John into this sure. in a moment. But the incentive for people to move to hybrid, to electricity. Uh, absolutely. Like, like, like they tried there a little bit there. They give an incentive of benefit and kind for electric vehicles. Well, personally, if so, 
someone makes an investment and goes hybrid, in my opinion, that should fall down the line to pe- people that, that are, want to be, are seen to be care about the environment and uh, purchase a hybrid vehicle and are prepared to drive in, in, in a fashion to get the maximum economy and helps make our country a greener place and cleaner place by going hybrid. Little incentives like that, tolls, for example, and free tolls or something like parking. Okay. Yeah, there's so a lot. More incentives required. John Malone from Toyota, welcome to the show. Good to see you Thanks, again. Thanks, Jerry. Toyota have led the way with hybrid technology and, of course, electric now for many a year. What do you say to those points we've been talking there to myself and Tony? If you have somebody today comes into you, John, and they're a petrol or they're a diesel head or whatever, and they want to look at a hybrid or perhaps an electric, what, what, is it a big jump money-wise? Does that put people off? There is a small jump as when you're going from uh, diesel to hybrid. There's a much larger jump when you're going from diesel to electric okay. in the same sense. Would you advocate hybrid as the stepping stone to full electric? I would advocate that for the present time and for the near future, hybrid is the only reasonable answer out there to help us all. We must remember that hybrid is very eco-friendly. It's easy on the fuel, low maintenance cost. It's reliable. It's proven. Don't forget, Toyota brought out their first hybrid in 1997, which was the Prius. And we all know how iconic a vehicle the Prius is. Every model we have in the range has a hybrid option and a petrol option. Will you explain for Luddites, what way does this work? You put petrol in your tank and when you're driving, the electric end takes over. Is that it, basically? Basically what happens, as you're starting off, Mm. you're driving on electric. When you get to about 30 kilometres per hour, you're switching over to petrol. Now, as the batteries have improved in the cars, as the time has gone on and everything is getting better, you're spending more and more time on EV. That means the electric is cutting in to help the petrol at home stages. Again, very simply put, if you're driving a car, to get up to the required speed that you want to get it takes a lot of energy. It doesn't matter what we're using. Once we get to the required speed... It does not take as much energy to keep the car going forward. Okay, and that is the true benefit in it. You'll see massive savings, will you, on on your fuel bills, yes? Yes, you will, but you'll also see a massive savings in your own health, in the environment. We must remember the one thing that everybody's afraid of in this world, and it's the World Health Organization, the most carcinogenic project is NOx, nitrogen oxide. Driving hybrid, hybrid, you have zero NOx. Mm. So it's a win-win all round. Win-win all round. When you look at it like that. Now, for Toyota, it's exciting times because a lot has been happening. Can you talk to me for a moment? Well, Tony, what about the Camry? The Camry was a picture poster boy or girl, wasn't it? Absolutely. I just had words with John before before the show and we're just speaking when he's coming in he tells me he'd be in in April. I think it's going to be huge for them. Absolutely huge. Uh, because it's a car that, that it's a big saloon car that's going to fit into a niche there without a shadow of a doubt and it will be good yeah and it coming, it's coming in petrol and hybrid is it coming John? in hybrid 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 ok hybrid and only yes starting I just saw starting price 39750 so it's almost 40000 it's an expensive car Oh, it is, yeah, but it's a niche car. It's the top end of the market. It was always a premium one, wasn't it, Tony? It was, yeah. It was up there with uh, when you companies like building saloon. So many companies tried to build large saloon cars and failed, you must remember. Like mm. it's the Mercedes and the Volvos of this world and Beamers of this world have succeeded. But you could also put Toyota in there that definitely succeeded with the Camry in the past. While others, uh, we won't start mentioning them all, others that built large saloons didn't take off, you know. 19 million have been sold in 100 countries since 1987. 
14 years gone but it's coming back this year and I have to say I absolutely loved it in its its original form but for Toyota I think you've many good news stories but the Aorus being replaced by the new John, generation Corolla you're going back to a classic John we're going back to classic Corolla was always there we changed from the hatchback in 06 we went Aorus now the Corolla hatchback is back again another iconic product the world over Corolla was always the biggest selling car in the world Absolutely. Always was. Tony, Toyota Corolla. Do you remember the first ones? I, I do, of course. Yeah, absolutely. A free headrest, an aerial and a radio <laughs> and mud flaps, wasn't it, John? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, well, well but uh, interesting. And a heater. And a heater. <laughs> that they've gone back to the Corolla name. I think they were mad in the first place ever to leave it go Oris because at that they would have lost a certain amount of percentage of sales to the to Oris and the, the Corolla name naturally then had fallen back a little bit. But now it's back as Corolla. Lehby <coughs> Estate, Hatchback and Saloon is great to see it. Yeah, it's in the tree. What are the different trim levels, would you explain, John, in the crawler? There's Aura, Luna, Luna Sport and Sol. Is that just you get more as you move up the names there? Correct, 100%. <laughs> You're 100% right there. Now, the Luna Sports would always be known by having a black roof in the crawler hatchback. Same in the CHR. Luna Sport has a black roof. It's, it's bitone. Mm. So it is. And the engines, again, there is a petrol engine, a 1.2 litre, but 1.8 and 2 in the hybrid. In the hybrid, the 1.8 engine is across the whole range. You must remember it's in Corolla Hatch, Corolla Saloon, CHR and Prius. How do the uh, saloons and uh, the estates, is there an estate in it now? There is a tourer, yes. Do many people opt for tourers? Tourers are on the way back. Are they? The tourers, it's a life choice. Mm. People that play golf, people that walk, people that, you know, have different types of activities, cyclists, the whole lot of that. They can fit everything in the back of the tourer. Tony, just to you, when I think about Corolla historically, I think about reliability over performance. I think of price rather than style, economy, say, over the driving dynamics. Has that changed with the new range with Corolla? The only thing that has really changed, in my view, is like like so many cars, the Corolla itself has grown in statue also. Mm. You know, the Corolla nowadays is like the Carina of yesteryear. You know, it's it's up to that size. It's room for three adults in the back, fairly comfortably with good legroom, a good boot for the golf clubs or whatever else. So it has grown. And others have come in now, like the, the Yaris and whatever else, and taken up another spot. But yes, it has matured. That's basically what stylish. I mean. Stylish. It's more stylish though, isn't it? And well, well, people, well, the Corolla was always a kind of thing. Yeah. But, you know, like, it had that. The, yeah, it had it really. Yeah. The rally versions, when they were rallying them and that, uh, I don't know, was that the Mark III or whatever, the time with the, with the bug eyes on it, but uh, they always had a certain attraction. But the big attraction was the Corolla came in ahead time, uh, Jerry, into our country when reliability, mm. we couldn't spell it. Yes. You know, it wasn't out there. <laughs> You know, and then all of a sudden you had mechanics turn around and <laughs> I remember, well, there was a Datsun too, a Datsun 1200 thing. And, that, and you said, God, we never make a bob out of these things. Like, you know, they just, they just don't give trouble. <laughs> they like. never come back. Yeah. And that is so true about Toyota and Corolla. Safety features in this new car, especially as well. Safety, very important to Toyota. Safety, John. very important. Mm. I, every Toyota comes now with TSS. It's Toyota Safety Sense. Mm. Okay, there's many options in it. Lane lane departure alert if you go to cross the white line by accident the car you find the stiffness in the steering wheel which won't nearly let you cross the white line and then when you do cross the white line it starts beeping at you we also have lane trace on a lot of our cars which means if you take your hands off the steering wheel Jerry, the car will follow the road round 
OK, it'll then tell you after 250 metres, please put your hands back in the steering wheel. <laughs> Isn't that something yeah. else, Tony? But you've been talking about this for years. You know, what's, you know, the, these extras, these important safety features in cars. Yeah, and I think, like, the question maybe about, just to throw around to John, years ago, you speak about extras and options and people come in and say, does it have a sunroof? We're gone far beyond the sunroof. Yeah. You know, we might mm. talk about panoramic roofs, but mm. but you keep saying the day you buy is the day you sell, and look at the safety options. Something that can help save your family, protect them, mm. and save yourself and pedestrians. When you vehicles that are nearly self-autonomous now, that's the way it's going. You know, yeah. that uh, they can recognise other vehicles on the road, animals on the road, whatever else. John mentioned there falling asleep going across the line and whatever it's all very beneficial I'll come back to you in a minute John short break and late lunch we're motoring Toyota in focus this afternoon Tony Conlon's with us this afternoon we're motoring and we're focusing on Toyota with John Malone today John you wanted to come in there a moment ago just yes when Toyota have re-rethought the way they build cars they have now incorporated what they call TNGA Toyota New Generation Architecture in other words most cars will be built on the same platform and so into that they're able to build all their safety we talked about safety a few minutes ago Uh, very highest active and passive safety standards are in every Toyota model that's been built at this present moment in time that's just the safety aspect Uh, a big emphasis and Tony was right we have to think of our children we have to think of ourselves and even people walking on the road. Uh, this question, actually, I'll get, let you into a little secret. Tony mentioned it here at the break, but it's just come from a listener. Is it the end of the road for diesel in Toyota? You know, you were talk- going to talk about that, Tony. Yeah? I, I don't think so. But like, I, I, we haven't rehearsed this, but I cannot see a Land Cruiser, electric Land Cruiser or a hybrid just yet, considering the, the, the phenomenal sales of these vehicles. I would agree with Tony. Okay, so There's Land no Cruiser, what else is going to... Land re- Cruiser, Hilux. Mm. Shabini knows the Hilux. Yeah, absolutely. Most famous vehicle we probably have on the road, and thanks to Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy Clarkson, is probably more famous than ever it was. <laughs> the only vehicle that, Jerry, that Jeremy couldn't kill. You know the other one I want to mention to you? Uh, the CHR, because there's two of them parked here in LMFM every day. So, there you is, know, yeah. they're a very, very popular vehicle. Your best-selling hybrid? Best-selling hybrid. Since January came in, they are absolutely flying out the door. You must remember that our new products didn't arrive in until February. So January, month of January, we only had to, we had Yaris and CHR. We have never seen as many people come through the door mm. for CHR. Mm. But you must remember, it's a very, it's a beautifully shaped vehicle. It, it has looks, it has fuel yeah. economy, it has safety factors. Like even the standard model comes with heated seats. Mm. Do you know what, Terry? He's so good looking himself. Look at him, Tony. <laughs> Jesus, he's with the right he brand altogether. The best looking cars in the world is <laughs> Toyota, Tony. Oh, that's what I was going to say, actually. Like, you, you can speak about hybrid and you can speak about reliability, but prettiness plays a major part in a person's decision. And you will turn twice and look at the CHR. That is true. You know, that if a car, you know, gets you, gets you really, you, you will go after it. Overall, you are, John, must, you must be, should I say, look at the range you have and the choice that Toyota offer. The choice has been brilliant. I remember a few years ago, not that long ago, we went to a Toyota conference and Akita Toy, Toyota, who was the grandson of the man who made the first car, himself turned up and he said, we are finished making boring cars. Anything from now on, he says, will be, I'm going to use the word, pretty cars. Yes. But will be attractive cars, will suit the generation, the time that we're in. Mm. Now, they're built for everybody, for all ages, all sizes. Mm. They suit everybody. Toyota's there for everybody. And a range, you're right, we have from the Igo, the Yaris, Corolla, CHR, Prius, 
Then we go into our iconic Camry that's coming, Land Cruiser, Pro Ace Vans, and our Hilux. God, that man has so much in office. Like a sweet shop, there's that many different varieties there to choose from. She'd be spoiled for choice. Tony, just moving on for a moment to a couple of other uh, news items yeah. you want to just bring to our listeners' attention today, starting with Renault. Renault, well, Renault, Renault, Renault are really up in the game as such because they're celebrating 200,000 sales of EV vehicles in Europe. Uh, they're sponsoring the Renault GA World Games, which takes part in the summer. And they recently put on display of all the commercial vehicles, some with specifically made bodies. You can get them with the Pacific bodies on them. And it's very interesting to see the range of vehicles they actually have. So, And then they'll have a new Clio coming down the road, which will also be available as electric. The story, as you said, is electric. Skoda is going electric. Sabre out the new t- Terracotta. Opel will have a new Safira, which is like a minibus job. Uh, Volvo, the big news with Volvo, I said, recognising the, the factor of speed plays and danger. And Volvo, remember, said they want to be one of the manufacturers so people do not die or have an accident in the car that they'll die, is to recognise the speed factor, reducing the speed, imposing a 180 kilometre speed limit. Now, that's well over the, the legal limit. But uh, again, there's no one going out and saying they'll do 250 kilometres an hour. They're imposing 180 kilometre speed limit on all cars to highlight the dangers of speeding. Mm. Uh, that, that's just really it. So many going down the electric road and that. But just before we go, we mentioned about electricity that the infrastructure has to be right. And, and to have to sit down in this country and look at that, Jerry. You can't have a fellow park an electric car all day as if he owns it in a parking spot and tourists coming into town. You can't have people going in with a petrol or diesel car and taking up a space either. And there will be a charge on it. But we can't, for the sake of tourism or towns, you cannot, you have to impose regulations. And it's not just county mead with one allowed with another. Let to be generalised 32 counties, 26 counties, whatever else. The other factor is that the bigger politicians have to look at is where the materials for the electric batteries is coming from most of it from the likes of the Congo most of the kids going down underneath the ground tunneling it's called cobalt that's required and there's a lovely story in last Sunday, Sunday Times about, about that written by Christina Lamb really great reading into it but it's just that governments as such need to sit down and look at things and so do councils. Okay, and that is an issue and I saw that article all right that is really thought-provoking as well and certainly something for the car manufacturers to look at. Have to leave it, boys, there for today. Just go on. Yes, John, go ahead there. One one quick thing. Yeah. Um, There is a Canadian blogger at the moment in the area. She represents the Lost Girls Guide and in conjunction with Tour, Tour Ireland, they want to show the best features uh, of the North East has to offer. So our Draw the Branch, Cathy has teamed up with Shane from the Loud Adventure Centre and she provided a CHR for Ashling, who's the blogger, and she will be driving it from the Cooley Mountains up the coast down through Drada and finishing in Dublin. Just shows you the CHR can go everywhere. <laughs> My God, you're on the ball, I have to say that with Toyota. But we wish you well, John. John Malone with your uh, Toyota group of garages. And Tony Conlon, thank you so much for joining us again. We're not forgetting Linda Martin. No, we couldn't. We had read Hurley earlier on. We were talking about the Ashling Ballroom. And here's Linda, who performed in the Ashling with probably her greatest song.
Sometimes I watch you pass in my my window And sometimes I watch you passing through my dreams And sometimes when I look at you You take my breath away Sometimes I try and understand your reasons You choose to feel the way you feel about me And sometimes when I turn around And you're there like today I walk I always knew Deirdre Hurley couldn't tip her nose. I'm stony broke. She messaged me this morning with two certs from the Gordon Elliott's uh, yard in County Mead and they're still running, to be honest with you. Can she save the day for me and everybody else? She's been brilliant in the past. She's on our pitch at Cheltenham and we join her now. Marcella McCoy, good afternoon. Hello, how are you? How are things? I'm very good, Marcella. I know you're busy there and you have another race coming up. You have a tip for us? I have, yeah. Bally Ward in the last race. Mullins so well. He had the first. He, 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 everything's going well for him in the minute, and it looks like it looks like the hot pot for the last race, Sally Ward. And in the sixth, in the sixth race, Tower Bridge. In the sixth race, I've that one for you as well. Okay, so two of them there, Bally Ward and Tower Bridge, are Marcella's tips from Cheltenham. What's it looking like? Are, is tomorrow in danger with the weather, Marcella? Tomorrow's in danger with the weather. There's a lot of storms on tomorrow, but we're we're hopeful that it will go ahead. If it's not on tomorrow, it'll be on on Saturday, but. Hopefully it will go ahead. Okay, and you're... It was, very, it was torrential rain here this morning and the ground was soft, so um, it has now cleared up. So the atmosphere is unbelievable. Mm. Great atmosphere. And uh, you prayers, are happy. Are amazing. Yeah, as always. Are you happy as the bookmaker today so far? Well, um, I... At, well, the first result wasn't much good for the bookmakers, but the... Um, Last result there was a, was a result for the business. Yeah, so. it went your way in that but one. It's only, it's, only, it's only early days. Day one, four days to go, so see what happens. Absolutely. Listen, thanks for joining us. I know you're busy there. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Take care, Marcella. Okay. Good luck. Bye-bye. 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 That's Marcella McCoy there, bookmaker from Dundalk. We've had her with us in the past and she's done very well. I need rescuing. Valley Ward in the last one and Tower Bridge in the one before that if you want to have a little tinkle and do remember always gamble with care in mind it is something just for a bit of fun keep that in your mind always and it is a little bit of crack now back to the Ashling Ballroom a lovely message in and WhatsApp to us I just wanted to say a big thank you for such a lovely tribute to the Ashling and to everyone who sent in such wonderful messages and memories I'm so proud of Dad, Mum and Michael for creating the ballroom and bringing so much joy and happiness to so many people and that comes in from Noel McAvoy this afternoon. Noel, thanks for your lovely message we really do appreciate it and the warmth and depth of feeling towards it is simply amazing there's lots of messages in. Vera's been on to say Jerry, the demise of the Ashton Ballroom for me has many great memories. Firstly the floor was maple, great for dancing and we did hear from Eddie Caffrey that that maple floor came from the Abbey Ballroom in Drogheda the great Eddie Caffrey, yes he's mentioned it 
viewer's message was the DJ there. It's an era that holds wonderful memories for the dancing fraternity in the North East and beyond and many a great show band played the Ashling Ballroom. They did indeed and thanks for all the lovely memories and wishes we are getting. There's lots of them there as well but that sort of reflects what everybody's saying. Reminiscing a wander down memory lane. You just can't beat it. Next up on Late Lunch, we haven't had Wildlife Matters for a while but we're going to have today because we're looking for your help again. Well, not me in particular, but uh, an organisation uh, are looking for our help involved in the wildlife sphere. Because, you see, it's about seven years ago since they carried out a survey to determine the distribution of squirrels, that's grey and red, and the pine marten in Ireland. Interesting years in the interim. We're going to hear about it next. We can all help, to be honest with you, with this new survey. Stay with us on Late Lunch. You know how we love our wildlife on Late Lunch. And we're, we are returning to it now on Tuesday's show. And, you know, I think the red squirrel has a very special place, hasn't it? In the heart of Irish people. Yes, we have the greys as well and a lot of them. And the pine marten, another native who's making a real comeback. Well, you know, we can all help with this one and uh, we're going to hear about it now from Dr Colin Lawton from Zoology at the Ryan Institute at NUI in Galway. Colin, good afternoon to you. Hi Jerry. how are you doing? I'm very good. Thanks so much for taking our call. I really appreciate it. First off, in general terms, there have been surveys around squirrels and pine martens, 1997, 2007 and 2012. So it's about seven years ago at this stage from the last data. At that stage, how were each of the populations, grey versus red squirrels? first? Well, we've been, as you say, following this story for quite some time. And, and the reason that we keep needing to do it is because the, the situation's changed quite a bit over those years. So the last time in 2012, when we were looking, um, the grey squirrel has now uh, covers about half of the island, the eastern half of the island of Ireland, and um, has been here about 100 years. And in that time, the red squirrel has started to disappear from certain patches. And so we had gaps appearing particularly around the Midlands where the grey squirrel had been longest established. So um, that had been the sort of narrative we'd been following of one species, the invasive species coming in and taking over from our native species. But just in the last survey, there was something unusual occurring, and that was that the grey squirrel didn't seem to be having it all its own way. And another animal had become involved in the story, if you like, and that was the pine marten. And the pine marten is an absolute beautiful creature, I have to tell people. I'll tell you a little story about my uh, interaction with pine martens in a moment. But the pine marten preys on the grey squirrel, but not the red. How come? Well, we're not exactly sure what the how this is working, to be honest with you. What, what's happening is that the pine marten, well, it had almost disappeared from the country because it was... Um, being hunted and so on and so it became protected around about the late 1970s under the Irish Wildlife Act and since then it's a slow breeding animal it takes a time to recover but it had made a real comeback around the country and one of the things we noticed that in places where there were lots of them the grey squirrel had disappeared and not only that but the red squirrel who seems to be able to live quite happily beside the pine marten had made this comeback so it was the loss of the grey squirrel allowed the red to come back and so the two native species were sort of working 
side by side, if you mm. like, helping each other out. So To defeat the imposter, which is uh, uh, one of those real fairy tale stories that you love to hear. Do you suspect that in seven years, and when you get this data back now, that the red will have made an even greater recovery at the expense of the greys? And naturally, I think the Pine Martin, uh, even uh, I would know this, their numbers are certainly up. Well, that, that's what we're hoping. So we, as I said, noticed in 2012 that there was this gap now in the in the sort of middle of the country where the grey squirrel we would have expected to be found, and it, it suddenly had disappeared. So what we want to see now was that just a blip, and um, or if that was part of a, a new narrative, a new story, if you like. And so we're hoping that this will have spread, and there'll be an even bigger gap in the grey squirrel distribution and even more signs that the reds are coming back. So it's vitally important that listeners today in the North East and beyond who are tuned in to us give you a dig out with this because you're looking for information on red squirrels, grey squirrel sightings and pine martens as well. How do they get this information to you and what's the, the format of this survey? Well, I mean, this is what we call a citizen science survey, which means that we're basically tapping into the knowledge that's out there amongst the the general public because there are people who are walking their dogs who are out in their gardens and see these animals all the time and they can cover a much bigger area than we could possibly do on our own so what we're looking for them to do is send in our uh, their records if they see any of these three animals they can very easily let us know where and when they saw them and which animal obviously it was so if they go um to our website, it's biodiversityireland.ie, and they'll see our survey as one of the um, surveys mentioned on the homepage, and they can click on that and just give us the details, and we'll be able to create our new maps for 2019 and, and hopefully complete this story. So if you're out and about over the coming months for the rest of this year and you get home and you see something, go in, click and just do the return because it's going to make a huge difference here if you see a red, a grey or a pine martin. And if you want to know, some people may not know what a pine martin looks like, uh, but if you go in and just Google that, you'll see the picture of them and they're very easily recognisable uh, as well. So any sightings, even however, one or two, very important to you, anything? Absolutely, anything we can get. And... um yeah, we've pictures up. We've a bit of information about each species as well. So um, they're very easy to Google as well, of course. But uh, yeah, anything we can get, even if people think that oh, they're bound to know they're here, um, we need information from everywhere we can. We actually have teamed up with Ulster Wildlife on this. So there's also records coming in from Northern Ireland as well. So we have the whole island covered. It doesn't matter about Brexit when it comes to squirrels, grey, red or pied mordens. <laughs> don't worry about that when it comes to wildlife. Now, the thing is this, we're in Loudmead, as we sit here today, and the surrounding counties. Are there red squirrels in our neck of the woods at the moment? Well, there, in the last survey, there were some red squirrels there. It really is a place where the grey squirrels had, had yeah. sort of come in and established quite a lot. And it's also one of the places where there are occasional sightings of pine martens, but not as many as we see in other parts in the West and in the Midlands. Um, but it is one of the places I'm hopeful that we might see that this this phenomenon of, of the grey squirrel disappearing might start appearing, particularly in the Meath end of things, but maybe also in Louth as well.
Yeah, so that's why it's even more important that we do this, folks. BiodiversityIreland.ie, the survey is there. I'll tell you my little Pine Martin story. Many moons ago, I was in the west of Ireland fishing Loch Mask. I do quite a bit of fishing, fly fishing, and uh, we were staying on Cahar Pier, a house there with a great man, one of the most wonderful anglers I ever met in my lifetime, Oliver Hennessy. And uh, we were out in the lake, out in Mask, uh, very late into the dark, fishing the buzzer, and we came in with a few trout in the back door, and there had been noise uh, in the attic of the house, Colin, uh, for the nights previously. You know what I mean? So there was something up there. So the trap door was left open. We came in, I always remember it, came in the back door and shone the light up at the trap door and here were four, two and two, four glistening eyes staring down (laughs) into the light of the lamp. And guess what? It was a pair of Pine Martins. That's amazing. I mean, um, they can sometimes cause a bit of problems. I mean, they they are a uh, carnivore species so they can get into chicken coops and that just the way the foxes and mink and so on can as well mm. and they do like to get into people's attics although generally they would um, flee if they hear somebody coming but there actually was a, a website put together by the National Parks and Wildlife Service last year which is just pinemartin.ie that people can look up if they're having any difficulties with them because of course we have to remember they're protected and, and we don't yes. want to see them harmed. Yes, and actually we did back then report it and uh, they came and would you believe within a week or so uh, they figured out where they were and where they were coming from and they trapped them and they moved them somewhere, you know, because they are protected, of course, you know, That's but great. there was just a little bit of a nuisance in the house at the time. But I can still, all these year, years later, Colin, see those eyes <laughs> staring down at me. It's a, an interesting little story. I love this stuff and I know how important it is. As you say, it is a social, a populist, a people survey, but it is so important to painting this picture and my fingers are crossed for the Reds anyway. I hope the outcome is what I'm sure everybody is hoping for, that the Red is on the way back. Absolutely. And the other thing just to mention is um, there's a facility on that survey page that they can add their photos because if we can, I mean, they don't have to, but if people have photos, um, everyone has a camera on their phone these days and so it's a great opportunity to, to sort of verify that, that that's, they actually saw the correct animal and so on. So any information they have is, is is appreciated. Absolutely. Come on, folks. Let's get to it. Do it. Do it. It's a really great thing to do and an interesting one to follow over the coming months in 2019. BiodiversityIreland.ie. Dr. Colin Lawden, thank you. Jerry, thanks a million. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's our lot on late lunch for this afternoon. I love these type of things. Come on, let's give them a dig out with that. If you spot them, uh, let them know. And if you've seen a red squirrel, keep that in mind. Let me know if you see a red squirrel anywhere in Loudoun Mead over the coming days, weeks or months. Anyway, that's a lot on the show for this Tuesday afternoon. And yes, she's going to make tea. She always makes tea for me every day after the show. In fact, I'm teed out with Louise Walsh, but I love it. There she goes, the LA. See you tomorrow, half one.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 